Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brian. And this, and this is, is the Bible, Bible Bistro. A, a podcast. podcast all about- <laughs> oh my gosh. He's reverted to childhood. <laughs> this reminds me of an episode of The Office when Michael starts what? <laughs> what is this? What is this a podcast about, Ryan? The Bible theology and all things related to the Christian faith. Okay. Which is on our website. You can go find us on our website. So yeah wow the we are strong. starting so strong in this episode as we always do always right. we always start strong well we're back it's advent season yes all of our avid third listeners. week of advent yes we hope that you are doing well in this season you so ryan what are you buying me for christmas what am i buying you for christmas <laughs> I'm buying you a Carhartt t-shirt. I was going to buy you a Carhartt gift card. It'll just be a Carhartt Christmas. That's a Hallmark <laughs> That's a Hallmark channel show, a Carhartt right. Christmas. We're going to talk about Hallmark movies. Yeah. Well, yes. Anyway, but yeah, no, uh, that's what I'm getting you for Christmas. Or maybe I'm going to get you the hottest item this season, and that is a Bible Bistro coffee mug. Ooh. How do I get one of those? Well, I'll tell you what. What you can do is go to the website, thebiblebistro.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, you can- it sounds like we wrote a script for this, but we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. This just happened. You can click in the upper right-hand corner and click support the Bistro, and for $15 a month, you too yeah. can have the hottest- item of the season what was that the bible bistro coffee mug i don't know okay. brian's hearing things on his end and <laughs> we're just still going but anyway i yes so we hope you all are doing well that you're uh that you're not overwhelmed during the season and yeah. you're also taking time to reflect the season as yes. well and that's what advent is all about yeah. is preparing had, us for jesus's arrival we've had then some good in the future this i'm week gonna quit had, talking <laughs> This week, we've had some good uh, feedback, some people saying they really look forward to and enjoy our Advent um, series. So uh, thanks for that. Thanks for that input. Do, so Doing sermon rewrites after <laughs> listening? I mean. Well, uh, let's not let's not get too crazy there, but no, it's it is it's it's always fun to get some feedback and and know that our uh, you know there's at least two people listening, listening to our podcast. To us. <laughs> yep. So anyway. anyway, this is the week of joy that we're talking about. So the third week uh, uh, is of Advent, it's a week of joy. Advent, as we mentioned before, is kind of an anticipation. So it's it, you know it's different, a little bit countercultural, if I can say that from. Uh, the normal celebration of Christ- Christmas, where everyone thinks in terms of like you know all the celebration up front, uh, Advent is more putting us in a mood of anticipation, think making us think about well, you know, as the light has shined in the darkness, you know, as the pe- people walking in darkness have seen a great light. That that kind of uh, mood, if you will, or that kind of uh, attitude for for Advent. And so what's a little bit different is joy is kind of seeing the joy in the midst of that. But but this year, as I've mentioned, and in, in kind of th- thinking about that theme of the light shown in the darkness, um, I, I talked about already, we, we've discussed, um, you know, peace in a time of conflict. We've talked about um hope in a time of hopelessness. And so today we're going to talk about joy, but we're going to talk about joy in a time of sorrow. And so that's where I was thinking about when you mentioned the Hallmark movies is because a lot of people will talk about it in, in the season. They have a hard time 
connecting, right? Because they mm. feel like, uh, for whatever reason, things are not going on in their life in, in a way that allows them to experience the the happiness, the giddiness of the season. And so we often associate that with joy. So, you know, Hallmark movies always work out well, as I understand. I, I don't think I've seen a whole – have you ever watched a whole Hallmark movie? That is a no. <laughs> I've seen par- I've seen parts of several of them. I feel well, like I'll tell you what happens: this girl who's from the city, <laughs> for some reason, has to go out in the country and she gets lost. She's and very she successful. Finds herself again. I understand she's a very successful executive. Yes, this and is like some... a joke. Have you seen this meme online yeah. that yeah, scientists burly... are very close to finding their second <laughs> second plot line for Hallmark right. movies? There's some burly guy who's who has some kind of outdoor job that uh-huh. she went to high school with, maybe or. <laughs> Yeah, yes, I, I, I think I know the movie. Yeah. But anyway, the point is, don't give us if if you are a fan of Hallmark movies, don't give us a hate hate mail for that. But but the the point is this that that all of this is kind of a superficial uh, idea of the season, right? This this idea of all the glitter and all the parties and all of the uh, the the joy. You know, we see these commercials that are all all very uh, you know the kids with their eyes lit up. Um, all the Christmas songs are about the the joy of the season, unless you get those those like the Blue Christmas, you know, the classic Elvis Blue Christmas. Or, yes, uh, you know, I guess even I'll be home for Christmas has a little bit of a melancholy uh, sound to it. Anyway, we'll we'll maybe analyze that another day. But uh, joy in a time of sorrow is what I want to talk about today. So, what I want to think about, and we've talked about this before, that that the biblical concept of joy is different than what we often mean when we talk about joy in this season, the joy of the season. You know, we'll, we'll often think about, uh, for example, um, those, those uh, the giddiness, the, the, the light, the excitement, all that kind of thing. So our passage today is Isaiah chapter 61. We've been going through the prophets. We're going to do Isaiah for all four uh, weeks of this Advent series. So this is Isaiah 61. And famously, this begins in, in verses 1 through 3 with the passage that Jesus read in the Nazareth synagogue. If you remember that in, in Luke chapter 4, mm-hmm. uh, that Jesus in, in the Nazareth synagogue is is asked to read. He opens to the place in Isaiah where it, it is said, and then he reads this passage, verses 1 through 3. And then he rolls it back up, hands the roll the scroll to the attendant, and says, "You've heard this scripture fulfilled. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today." Um, and, and so that's that's what we begin with. So go ahead and read ver- uh, Isaiah. Do you have Isaiah sixty one there in front? Yeah, of you? I didn't I sure do. Prepare you for that, but Isaiah yeah. sixty one verses one through three. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We hear the word joy there and that idea of the oil of joy, and we'll come back to that image in just a minute. But I want to start with just a couple of things early on. Notice that this, one of the things, and, and I'm going to go ahead, I was thinking about this as I was I was preparing these notes. One of the things we like to do, Ryan, as you know, is, is we don't only want to just kind of 
explain things, but we also want to kind of model. Here's a, here's interesting things to do as we look at scripture. Here here's mm-hmm. some of the things to notice. And so one of the things I want you to notice as you read Isaiah 61 is that there is a change in person. Okay, and what I mean by that is uh, in in language uh, we we have different ways of expressing uh, a, a verb. Uh, to talk about, uh, we, we talk about first person, second person, and third person, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, first person is when I, I refer to myself or to us, so that's first person. Second person is when I talk about you, and then third person is when I talk about he, she, it, or, or in plural, them. And, and so that's, that's just the way language works. And so the interesting thing is, as we read through this chapter, it's not consistent in its person. It begins, though, with this first person narrative. You see, the Lord has anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord is, is on me because the Lord has anointed me. And, and so, again, when Jesus reads this in the first person in the Nazareth synagogue and basically says, you're hearing the fulfillment of this this day, um, it, it's very interesting that this is in the first person. And he's basically saying it applies to himself. Um, the other thing I'll, I'll just point out, you, you know, it's anointed. And we've talked about that word you know, quite a bit. Right. Uh, how, how would you, Ryan, how would you describe anointed? I'm putting you on the spot here. I didn't prepare for that either. But how a, would you? Appointed, like put put something on me, blessed me. Right. Uh, pos, put, I'm positionally placed. Yeah. Yeah. So posi- it's, it's used for like the, the Mashiach, Messiah is the anointed right. one. Right. And that's what this word is here. This is the word Messiah. He is it, or the verb form here. This is, he has anointed me. And what he has set me apart for then, this idea of the Christ, the Messiah, he's set me apart to proclaim good news. Okay. And that word good news in the in the New Testament is the where we get our word gospel. gospel. Uh, the, the idea of, of good news, a proclamation. The word proclaim is going to be important in this in this um, passage. Just like we saw the voices you might remember last week. You know, what shall I cry out? Here's why you should cry. And, and so here we have the the Lord anointing the the person who's speaking the first person right mm-hmm. uh, as, as they speak to proclaim good news to the poor and then we have a whole series of statements uh, bind up the brokenhearted proclaim freedom for captives right release from darkness for prisoners uh, the idea of the Lord's the year of the Lord's favor which is the idea of the jubilee year a year when debts are forgiven a year when slaves are freed uh, uh, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now, that reminds us a little bit, sounds a little bit like Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' sermon on the, uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Beatitudes, which talk about that. Blessed are those who mourn, right? But mm-hmm. but here, here we have a whole series of what I'm going to call reversals. Uh, and, and these are reversals in a positive sense. Reversals can can happen both ways, and reversals are kind of used in stories and narrative. You know, when we, when we talk about stories, and, and in fact, we love a good reversal. Um, mm-hmm. Most most any story that is worth anything is gonna is gonna have a good reversal. My favorite example of a positive reversal in kind of a, in American culture is the musical Annie. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of it's a rags to riches kind of story. Right. Here's this this orphan girl who's who's put in very difficult circumstances because of her living situation, because of the the wicked head head of her um, orphanage. Uh, but then she gets adopted by this 
person in a very high position, right? And and her situation has completely changed. That's an example of a, a positive reversal. You can also have a tra- what's called usually a tragic reversal. Shakespeare loved those, but um, but these these idea of positive reversals are often we see those often in our stories. Harry Potter would be an example of one. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Can, can you think of any off the top of your head? Uh, I was trying to think of some more before we began. Harry Potter, of course, you know, he's living at the very beginning of the book. He's living under the stairs um, and, you know, his aunt and uncle are not taking good care of him. And all of a sudden he finds out he's been given this invitation. It's a very special school. And so um, don't give us hate mail on Harry Potter either. I didn't think about that before he was that example. But we, we, we have all kinds of we kind we have all kinds of stories like this that are that are positive. What was the other? There was another one I was thinking of before. I, you know, when you just ask me, or I, <laughs> I should I should tell you this ahead of time. Yes. So so these are all examples of positive reversals. So those who are mourning will be uncovered. Now here's why I mentioned this specifically when we think about joy in a time of sorrow is that's kind of what Jesus is saying, and that's kind of what the prophet here is pointing toward, that when the Messiah comes, things are going to change, right? And and it's going to be for the positive. In other words, the coming of Jesus heralds a time when sorrow will be turned into joy, when mourning will be turned into comfort, uh, when, um, you know, this, this idea of the oil of joy uh, will be, will be placed on those instead of mourning and a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Ashes is a symbol in the ancient world and in, in Hebrew culture for for you put ashes on your head to to indicate you were just in mourning. You were just sad about something that something horrible had happened to you. Uh, Job does this right when he uh, he experiences his loss. He sits in sackcloth and ashes is the is the term that we use in our culture oftentimes to talk about that. And and so here it's talking about though when the time of the anointed one comes, he is coming to proclaim good news. He's coming to proclaim a change in fortune. That, that things are you know, you're gonna be like Annie. You're gonna be adopted from the orphanage, right? Uh-huh. And, and things things are gonna be positive in that sense. So so that's just um well, that's just the first part there. Anything else you notice or anything else you wanted to to talk about? I I don't think so. I mean, it, this is such a popular popular verse because it is referenced in Luke, you know, sure. by Jesus when he, yeah. when he reads it. It's familiar to us. Yeah, it's one it, that we it's know. the mic drop for Jesus when he's in the <laughs> when he's in there. Right. Okay, now go ahead and read verses 4 through 6 and I want you to notice again when we're thinking about person then there's a change in person that takes place here. So we are in first person. Uh, the Lord has anointed me. And now we're going to go to third person, they, and then we're going to see another shift in person before we're even done with a couple of verses. So read verses four through six. Yeah. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers, strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their eyes, you and in their riches, you will boast. So notice the third person here, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. And again, we're talking, basically, these are all just images of that same thing that we saw in the first part. These are images of reversal. So even though these things were in ruins, they will be rebuilt and I love that image. It's a really powerful image, I think. Uh, 
it's it's the idea of something that has been torn down, something that has been uh, destroyed, probably, and, and instead of it staying in that state of ruin, it is it is instead being rebuilt. It, it it's really kind of an image for the redemption that we experience in Jesus, I think. But it, you know, he's talking about cities, um, ruined cities will be renewed. Uh, they've been devastated for generations. And then we'll talk about this next. these next two verses here. We kind of have to do some work on this to think about. But I want you to notice, first of all, though that's in third person. And then we have the change to second person. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. So you see mm-hmm. it moves from they to you. Right. And it says you will be called priest of the Lord uh, in verse 6 then. So, again, this ch- interesting change in the kind of a – uh, something to notice, though, you know, something to pay attention to when you're looking through uh, a text. It's very unusual to have this many changes take place in this in this short period of time. So again, reversal is what we have at the beginning of this. But then in verse five, it says strangers and foreigners. The word uh, there's a word here for foreigner. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are the ones who will be uh, working your fields and vineyards and shepherding your flocks, and, and that could be seen as a warning. In other words, they're going to be the ones who are who are going to have the flocks and they're going to have the herds and uh, and, and going to have the, the places of growth here. But I think in a prophetic sense, from our perspective, we see this as an expansion of God's kingdom. We see this as a positive thing, that, that this is going to be not only for um, – uh, the nation of Israel, but it is going to be for all people, right? That, that it's going to be what we see in the book of uh, Acts. It's it's going to be uh, the Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh, which is the Messianic promise again. When the Messiah comes, it, it's going to be for all nations. And, uh, and the reason I think that this is the way to understand this is this, we're going to get down toward the end of this chapter. We're going to see a reference that, that makes that, makes me think that. So, so what, role then Israel has, I think, you will be called priest of the Lord. So I think this is a positive sense. Strangers and foreigners will be the ones caring for your flocks and and uh, you know managing your vineyards, your fields, and you'll be called priest of the Lord. This is what God had said from the beginning that he wanted his people to be. I, I want you to be a nation of priests. And the whole point of it was that they were to be the ones who were who were inter, intercessing or intermediaries between God and the nations. They were the ones who were supposed to be leading the nations toward the worship of the true God. That was their position. That was their, I should say, their mission uh, was to do that. And instead, they became focused instead upon the blessings that they themselves had received. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd forgotten this idea that they had been blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations around them. Uh, and, and that's one way we can understand kind of the situation in the time of Jesus is it wasn't so much about reaching out to the nations, but it was very much about staying in terms of their identity themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so again, reversal um, and, and, and you know, again, this, this idea is going to continue. Go ahead with verse 7. I'm going to ask if you have anything else you want to say. Yeah. Just, just verse 7. Okay. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace— you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land, 
and everlasting joy will be yours. So another couple of times we this idea of joy comes up rejoicing and everlasting joy we see here in these in this passage. So again this you understand why this text is a good one for this for this week. Mm-hmm. But again reversals instead of shame you're going to get a double portion. You're you're going to be the the one who who receives the best part of it instead of disgrace you'll rejoice in your inheritance. Uh, maybe makes us think about the story of the uh, the uh, 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 prodigal son, where he comes back and instead of disgrace, he instead receives his inheritance. Um, and everlasting joy will be yours. So this is the promise of the Messiah uh, that we have. So again, I, I want to you know be careful here because we're going to kind of get to this more at the end, but but I know that sometimes when we talk about joy, it can sound hollow if you're going through a difficult mm. period, difficult situation. Uh, what this helps us do, I think, is when we when we remember the coming of Jesus, when, when in this Advent kind of way, we're thinking about the reason that He came was to change the situation, right? To to turn things around. Uh, and so it's it's that idea of joy, even in the midst of sorrow, is kind of the way I want to think about it. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit more at the end of our of our time about what what joy is exactly. Anything you want to add here so far in these images, or anything you notice particularly? Ryan? No, I think it's that idea of the reversal is really important to to see here. You know, like I think it's sometimes yeah. when I've read this, it's like you will feel in the wealth of the nations. Like I don't, I'm not I'm not looking at the reversal of what it was. I'm just looking at the beneficial I'm not seeing the transformation. Sure. I'm only seeing the right. beneficial aspect of it. And you know, I think that's that's the part where we get stuck where it's like joy is this. I know it's out there, right. but I'm stuck in the I, I, I'm I'm stuck back here, right. and saying like the the purpose of Jesus is not just to have the good thing out there, but to reverse the negative and and take yeah. you into into the good. Yeah, and I think that's, that's an said. important reminder well is that like it's the the joyful peace is not just the place you have to find your your way into that that that's what Jesus has done is to take yeah. you from exactly. this place to that place. Well said. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a very important a very important way to say that. I well, like I just I, I think we chase joy sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's like I don't I yeah. don't feel good. We we chase it. Like or, oh or, if I do this, I feel I right. feel better and we confuse happiness and joy. I, right. I can remember this in my own life. I, you know, when when you started this, Brian, you talked about like it's hard to feel sometimes it's hard to feel something. Yeah. I remember this in my own personal life. I'd left a Christmas Eve service and I felt like I feel nothing, right? Like why don't I feel anything, right? And so it was a reflection on you know like part of it for me was reflecting on on where I was and what was going on in my life and had I prepared myself to be there mm. and so forth and so yeah because I felt like I know I'm supposed to feel joy, right? Why am I not? And it just right. it kind of you know there's a self reflection there and it it, it was uh it was painful. Like yeah. for me, to, for me to recognize that. Yeah, I think that's important to say. Yeah, you said we seek it ourselves, or I was as you said that I was thinking where we try to manufacture it. Yeah. Like, well, if I do the right things, if I wrap the gifts the right way, if the tree is decorated the right way, if, you I, know, have a, if, if I have a Norman Rockwell Christmas, exactly, then then, then I will experience then joy. then I'll experience joy. And, and then when we get there, and you're like, even if it is perfect, yeah, it's hollow without. 
Exactly. In this context, joy is what is given to us by by the coming of Jesus, right? It's something that he provides for us. It's not something that we have to manufacture. It's not something that we have to create. It's something that he is giving to us. And so, yeah, I think that's that's well said. That's a good good observation. Yeah. Anything else? Well, thanks. I turned off my emo- emotion so I can't have the fireworks <laughs> for me. I contributed. Yeah. Okay, verses eight and nine. You want me to give you a thumbs up? Yeah, probably versus, give you versus eight and nine. Then go All ahead right. and read that. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. So, what person do we have here? Would you say? I. My okay, so personal, it's first, first, first person, person. okay, yeah. from God's perspective here. So we had the servant kind of, in, in Isaiah, this last part we call the servant, this last part of Isaiah, uh, that that's the I throughout this, who, who we understand to be the Messiah, the suffering servant of, of Isaiah 53, for example. But, but here we have God's perspective, who he says here, I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. So these reversals that he is bringing about through his servant are because that's the, <laughs> it's not the world the way that God intends for it to be. I love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. So, so basically this is a just world is the way that I want things to be. Uh, I, I hate people who take advantage of others, robbery and wrongdoing in my faithfulness. In other words, in my, in my, truthfulness to myself, I will, God says, I will reward my people and make an everlasting, you know, this is the idea of eternal, an eternal promise, eternal covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations uh, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are people the Lord has blessed. And this is the part where I really see this idea that God is is working through his people in order to bring a blessing to all nations, right? To all to to the to the entire world. In fact, that word nations is is the word that we can translate Gentiles, right? The the hmm. uh, uh, the their descendants will be known among the Gentiles is the way that we could put this, and their offspring among the peoples. Uh, all who see them will acknowledge that they are the people. Uh, that the Lord has blessed. So this is the promise that God is making in, in all of this. And this is what we're, again, we're anticipating in this season. So let's finish this up with uh, verses 10 and 11. These are kind of long verses, but go ahead and read those for me if you yeah. don't mind. I delight greatly in the Lord, for my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, arrayed and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes a sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So do you see there's another I here, but this is really going back to that same first person we had at the beginning of Isaiah 61. This is the servant again saying, I will delight in the Lord. Because before it was I, the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. And now saying, I will greatly delight in the Lord. Um, th- that verse, r- read that t- again. And I'm going to read the beginning of Mary's Magnificat uh, kind of right after that. This is out, out of uh, Luke. This is this is Mary's response in Luke chapter 1 uh, when the... Uh, when the angel, now I've lost it. I had it here. Luke 146. 
Yeah, I, I had it, but I thought I had it already set up, but apparently I didn't. Uh, but go ahead and read those first verses, and I'll, and I'll find yeah. Luke I, while you're doing that. I just like, the first, the first, I should say the first verse, the first cup, first line there, basically. Yeah. First I delight like greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And, is, and the, this uh, is what Mary says. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And there seems to be a parallel. You, you hear that language mm-hmm. there. It's very similar. A lot of people will talk about that first line. Uh, here's a little Easter egg for you, but from Psalm 34, uh, there's uh, that first line in Mary's Magnificat is often seen as a parallel there. But but we have both of those lines. You know, see, I'm saying it's almost parallel here. So I think she is saying when she says that I, you know, I'm the Lord's servant is what Mary is basically saying in this, and and you know, do with me what you will. It's mirroring, or it's the technical term is echoing this servant of Isaiah 61 who says that that I'm going to therefore rejoice uh, in, in God my Savior. Uh, there's two images here. There's the image of a wedding. So it mm-hmm. says even the way the priest kind of, or the, the bridegroom kind of dresses up like a priest, right? He's going to wear his funny hat and, and uh, you know, he's going to dress up for, for the wedding. And the bride is going to adorn herself. And this is something that's kind of, you know, cross-cultural that, that in, in most most places we see this in our our culture. We see this also in the ancient Israelite culture that the bride would, uh, you know, want to make herself. Um, how do I say this? W- would want to uh, dress in a way that was um, in, in a special way for the wedding, right? In, in order to acknowledge the importance of this occasion. And so it's that same kind of an idea here. Uh, there's the image of a wedding, which is a joyous occasion, right? So it has to do with relationship, I think, this idea that there's going to be a relationship between God and his people. Uh, and then there's the image of a garden. And gardens, of course, are used frequently throughout Scripture. Jesus uses gardens in his illustrations. Famously, in the book of Revelation, John uses garden to describe the age to come. Of course, we have a garden at the very beginning, I suppose. I should mention that one, yeah, too. Yeah, there's also one. <laughs> but it's that idea of life, right? A garden has the image of life and and uh, fertility and this idea of growth and, and, and joy in that. So both of these image point, uh, point to that. So I want to kind of conclude by thinking about what – where does joy come from? And we've already talked about this quite a bit, that God is the one who, who gives us joy. And there's really two kind of things that I want to I want to mention. And, and, and I think this can help us in this season, like what you were talking about, if we're in that position where we're like, I just don't feel it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the first is, I, I think the source of the joy comes from God's promises of relationship to his people. And, and you're, if you read Isaiah 61 again, you see that throughout. Uh, that these are going to be my people. Uh, They're going to experience joy instead of mourning. Uh, And and so it's going to come from that idea of relationship. Jesus talks with this in the upper room discourse of John with his disciples quite a bit. The the word joy is used, I think it's used 50, uh, I looked it up uh, before we got on, I didn't write it down. I think 57 times in the New Testament and seven of those are in two chapters of the Gospel of John. Uh, Wow. Uh, well, I should, I should say three chapters, 15, chapters 15, 16, 17. Um, so there's a lot of joy language there. And I want to look at one of them in, in just a minute. But but this idea of, of um, Jesus saying 
that that you will have joy basically i i want you to know my joy so he is he's passing his joy is what jesus is saying on to his disciples and in particular in john 16 we won't necessarily read this but he says and i find this really interesting he says when the when the world is rejoicing you will have sorrow but then when the the world experiences sorrow, you will have joy. And, and he's talking about his resurrection in a, in a kind of a guarded way. Basically, he's saying, there's a tough time coming, guys. I'm going to be killed. And and people are going to be rejoicing because they're going to think they've won, right? The, the, the Jewish leaders are going to say, we finally put the end to this upstart rabbi from Galilee, right? From Nazareth, who in the world do you think he is? And so there's going to be rejoicing there while the disciples are experiencing sorrow, but then in Jesus' resurrection, when when the disciples finally realize he Jesus and he appears to them, right? Jesus has risen from the dead, they're going to be experiencing joy. And, and so there's joy to be found in in the knowledge of Jesus' resurrection. I think there's joy language around the birth of Jesus too. I should have mentioned that. We have literally I was going to say jumping for joy. Literally, uh, John the Baptist jumps for joy in in uh, Elizabeth's womb uh, when Mary comes. That's he's the first one to ex- express joy at the coming of the Messiah. And so we, you know, we have all this this kind of language uh, of joy around the birth of Jesus. We have it around the resurrection of Jesus, and and that has to do with this idea of relationship. But the other place that I find it interesting that joy occurs in the New Testament, this word kara, this idea of joy, it's not in expected places. Famously, Philippians, the book of Philippians, um, you know, Paul, that one, there's the words rejoice and joy and all those kind of words occur more frequently there than any other place in the New Testament. And this is one of the epistles that Paul says, I'm writing while I'm in chains. It's a prison epistle. Right, yeah. And yet he says, I want you to know that that I have joy. Um, so joy is not dependent on our circumstance. That's the good news, right? It, 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 things can be crappy. We can we can be having difficult things go on around us. And, and that doesn't preclude the promise that we can experience joy. Um, so that brings me to the question then, what, what does real joy mean? Um, and in the Gospels, when Jesus is, is talking about joy, often it has to do with him fulfilling the purposes of his Father. So even think about the beginning. You remember how we began uh, Isaiah 61, that Jesus said this in, in Nazareth? He, he basically says, you know, that the Lord has anointed me. He set me apart to proclaim good news to the poor, uh, to, um, you know, announce mourning instead of comfort, all those reversals, right? Mm-hmm. The oil of gladness instead of mourning, the the idea of um, garments, you know, uh, good garments, I can't remember the word exactly, instead of instead of ashes, right? Mm-hmm. All this and so so he experiences this in in fulfilling his father's purpose, the reason that the father has set him apart. So Jesus says that joy comes for him from doing his father's will, from doing what his father had has, has asked him to accomplish. Another interesting place, I'll just mention this, and, and you can look it up later if you want, but in Luke 10, 17, actually you look that verse up and read just that verse, yeah. but I'm going to tell you the story. This is where Jesus sends out the 72. 
And, and it's interesting because he, he sends them out and he gives them some really interesting instructions. He says, uh, I want you to go out. Don't take anything with you. <laughs> don't take money or don't take you know anything you're going to need along the way. But basically, you're going to be provided for. So this, that would seem to be a pretty difficult time. And the other thing that Jesus says is you're going to come to some towns and they're going to receive the message gladly. And so stay there and proclaim the good news, right? In, in an interesting place, the same way that Jesus says, proclaim the good news is why why I've been sent. He now sends out the 72 and says, you proclaim the good news in all these towns. He says, there's going to be towns that are going to accept you, so proclaim the good news there. But he says, there's also going to be other towns that are not going to accept you. Mm-hmm. And he says, what you need to do there is you still proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and then you leave the town and wipe off its the, the dust from dust your, your feet, for instance, from your sandals. So even even when so so there, there's that idea of even when circumstances aren't ideal, <laughs> what your job is is to proclaim the kingdom. So here's what they say. Here's when they report back to Jesus. Here's what they say yeah. in 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 Luke, Luke ten seventeen. The seventy two returned with joy and said, "Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name." So they return with joy saying, wow, look at this. And, and it's interesting because Jesus, you know, says, don't, don't have joy because uh, the demons submit to you, but have joy because your names are written in, in the book of life in heaven. Right. So, so the joy that they have in fulfilling uh, the, the purpose for which they have been sent is an interesting part of this. And then I wanted to finish, this is kind of a weird place to finish, I suppose, for, for, an Advent series, but I wanted to finish in the book of Acts chapter 13 because Acts 13 begins in um, uh, Syrian Antioch. It begins in Antioch where, uh, whoops, where uh, there, there's a group of uh, inner, what's the word I want to use here? Um, uh, inner ethnic group of Christians who've gathered in, in Syrian Antioch, probably for the first time, we have this kind of people from all over. And it's clear the way that it's described, they're very intentional of saying they're people from all over the world mm-hmm. who are meeting here in Antioch. And that's where, of course, they're, they're first called Christians. But then Paul and Barnabas are called there. Paul is specific. Barnabas goes and gets Paul and brings him there because he says, this is why God set you apart. You remember that whole story where, where uh, Jesus met Paul on the Damascus road and right. said, uh, you're going to proclaim my message to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. That, that thing that Isaiah 61 says is going to happen, right? You're going to proclaim my name to the nations. And, uh, <clears throat> so Paul, Barnabas gets Paul and they're set apart. And then acts 13 is the very beginning of their trip. The, the first missionary journey, we call it. And they go <clears throat> overland through various places. But the first major thing that happens in Acts 13 is they go to this place called um, Antioch, but it's a different Antioch. It's Pisidian Antioch this time. It's over, it's in Pisidia, not in in Syria for, for you guys looking on the maps. Look on the map if you don't know the difference. But, <laughs> no um, one's looking on the map, Brian. I know, it's but they need, they need to. If they, this, is, this is a different Antioch. Yeah, you okay, different that. Antioch. So, so of course, Acts 13, as many of the books, many of the chapters in the book of Acts are, is filled then mostly with Paul's sermon. And, and essentially he's, he's saying, here's why we've been sent. We're proclaiming the good news to you. Uh, we're preaching all these things. He goes back, you know, this is a long sermon. He goes back to the very beginning of the Bible. He goes through the whole Old Testament, basically. 
And then he gets down to verse 46, and it says, uh, actually, I'll start in 40. Well, I'll start in 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly because they basically come and they say, hey, Paul and Barnabas, we're not too hip on you preaching the name of Jesus, right? Uh I'm paraphrasing. But verse 46 says, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. We had to. I find that interesting. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. He's talking about the synagogue here. Since you do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the nations, to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city— so think about this. These these Jewish leaders don't like what Paul and Barnabas are doing, so they get the most— prestigious people in the city, mm-hmm. leading women, uh, the the uh, leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. It's an interesting thing that happens to them, right? Things are going well, but they have these people stir up <laughs> mm-hmm. stuff against them and get them kicked out of the city. And it says in verse 51, so they shook the dust off the feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I find that, I want to use that, that this is the reason I'm ending with that, is because I find that an extraordinary place to mention that the disciples were filled with joy. Hmm. I, I mean, how many of us, if we had that happen, we're thinking, you know, we, we had this revival meeting going and everything was going great and people were really excited about hearing the good news of Jesus. And, and then people stirred up stuff against us and got us kicked out of town. <laughs> mm-hmm. How many people would say, you know, how many of us, how, you know, this is me speaking to myself, would I say, man, I am filled with joy uh, because of what's happening here? And the reason I think that they say that they're filled with joy in the Holy Spirit is this, that that they are fulfilling the purpose for which God set them apart, right? Paul specifically, uh, Barnabas. But here's, I guess, what I'm saying is, is that's the common thread through all of this, I think. Isaiah 61 begins with this statement that that the sovereign Lord has set me apart. He has anointed me to preach, to proclaim the good news uh, to to those who need to hear it, right? Uh, Jesus says, my satisfaction comes, my my fulfillment comes from doing the will of, of my Father, the one who sent me. His followers, the 72, say, when we do what it is, when we proclaim this message of the kingdom of God uh, to those who need to hear it, that gives us great joy. And, um, you know, here Paul and Barnabas <laughs> proclaim, we had to, we had to proclaim the word of God to you. We were set apart for this purpose and this reason, and that fills us with joy. Uh, so I guess in this season, here's part of the message that I would say, joy, yes, is what absolutely what is given to us in in Jesus. That's that's what we have, right? He, he's the one who brings that. And that's what we celebrate 
And again, not using that word in the in the way we often use it, but that's what we are remembering in this season, right? Is is that joy was given to us in this long-awaited promised Messiah who came to us. But now I guess the other part of it that I want us to remember is that joy ultimately isn't found in <laughs> You know the, the, the you, you what'd you say the 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 um, uh, I can't remember the word you use for it but basically the the Hallmark Christmas or the what did you say you said the I, I don't know <laughs> I've blinked since then the shiny picture of of Christmas yeah. right mm-hmm. that that kind of an image um, that's not that's not the true joy I think the true joy is when we are able to uh, accomplish. The purpose for which the purpose we have been given in Jesus, right? We've been given a meaningful thing to do, and I and I do think that in this season there are opportunities for us to do good for others, mm-hmm. right? Um, even more than there is the rest of the year. There's all the time we can always do things that are that are good for for others, but specifically, specifically in <laughs> this season, yes. <laughs> Specifically in this season, there are opportunities for us to to help those who are in difficult circumstance. But I want to make sure this isn't just a matter of doing something to make us feel good, but it is it is deriving a deep sense of of satisfaction and purpose mm-hmm. from doing that for which we were created. Um, and, and that's where, where I think that's my definition of joy. Joy is the sense of uh, of us fulfilling the purpose for which God has created us. Uh, and I think that's that's why that, that's the only way I can make sense of the story of the New Testament. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's the only way I can make sense of words like in Hebrews where it says that for the joy set before Him, Jesus um, suffered the cross, right, scorned its shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he knew that this was the purpose that he had. It's the only thing that makes sense of consider it pure joy, brothers, in James 1, when you face trials of many kinds. That's the only way I can make sense of that, is if joy isn't that the circumstances going on right around us, but instead that we are accomplishing the purpose for which we have been put here, uh, despite the circumstance sometimes. Yeah. That's pretty, so uh, well, that's pretty countercultural. I mean, yeah. you know, you and I've been reading the book, and it's, you know, yeah. your your greatest, or in, in our culture, it's the, I need to keep looking further inside myself. That if the further I yeah. look into in, into myself, that can find my the buzzword authentic self. That's yeah, that's where my true, that's yeah. where myself is, and if I can yeah. live my myself, then that is the essence of who I am, and and from that yeah. burst burst my joy, yeah. burst forth my joy. But what we're seeing here is. You know, I I think we're seeing some of this stuff in culture that like there's burnout on that. It creates its own anxiety and yep. and all those things. And so it, what we have here is our joy is in participation and our purpose, participation yeah. or purpose. And just as Christ subjugated himself to a cross, yeah. he diminished himself, his his own. You know what I mean? Right. Like it was. I do. We yeah. we participate as we suffer and we. And I don't have to say the suffer, but as we diminish <laughs> ourselves and make much of him, that is right. when the joy comes. That is our true purpose. We, we submit him, submit ourselves to his purpose rather than demanding our, you know, on, uh, depend our upon and, and, yeah. and demand our own. Right. It, it's yeah. not, it's not just fulfilling our desires, but like 
because right. that's that's an endless chase, but fulfilling the, the will of the Father as participants in the work of Christ here yeah. on earth. Well, Brian, this is a good one. Yeah. Well, so, um, you're still going to buy me the Carhartt shirt, right? Yeah, I'll get you a Carhartt shirt. I'll get you a Carhartt shirt. I'll, I, You know what? It's on now. I'm going to find <laughs> the most ridiculous one, and you're going to wear it on this podcast. There's no such thing as a ridiculous you're Carhartt right. shirt. They aren't. There aren't. Yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll find something. I hope that this is encouraging. I hope it's uh, it's a message that you know we we need to hear in this in this season. A reminder is all it is. A reminder uh, that true joy comes in in you know finding our our purpose in Jesus. I think, and so yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, thanks so much. Appreciate yeah. it. One we more will, week. Next, one next more week, week for twenty twenty three for us, and then we're going to take a little bit of a break. A hiatus. Kinda, a hiatus. Or do you yeah. want to call it a? Is it a a uh, What's the other word I was looking for? Uh, sabbatical. Intermission. Yeah. <laughs> sabbatical. Like we get paid to do this. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So we're going to take a short break then in January. Yeah. And we'll be back. Um, when I say short break, it'll be for the full month of January. But we'll be back uh, with some new content as well. But one more All week. Right. We hope you'll come back and join us for that. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Talk to you later, Ryan. Bye. Bye. Bye.